This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 29th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Learning why we have rights is every bit as important as learning what rights are and what they're not. Cato Senior Fellow Tom Palmer discusses rights and the trouble some people have understanding them in his new book, Realizing Freedom, Libertarian Theory, History, and Practice. He spoke following a forum for the book held December 1st. You are very critical of the argument that people are entitled to delivery by the state of benefits, housing, medical care, education, and other uh, tangible things. But you also say that a legal system ought to be based on rights. And uh, if you believe that, why not more rights, more extra rights, you know, right to free press, right to assemble, all that, but also these other rights? Well, this is a, a big theme in a lot of uh, contemporary debates in law and in political philosophy. It goes back to uh, T.S. Marshall, who gave a series of lectures at Cambridge University in, I think, 1950, in which he argued roughly as follows. First, you had civil rights, right to property, right to freedom of conscience, and so on. Then political rights, right to vote. And now we have civil, uh, excuse me, uh, social rights, rights to social benefits to be delivered by the state. His argument was it's just the next stage of rights. Thank you, libertarians, for the civil rights. Thank you, libertarians, for the political rights. And now we socialists will just add another layer. There's social rights, housing, medical care, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with that is that the uh, uh, legal system to bring about those rights undermines the other ones at the same time. It's not actually a rights-based legal system. And I'll give you a simple example. Uh, Two of the really significant and profound and very intelligent advocates of this positive rights mentality, the state will deliver these things to you, Joseph Raz and uh, Jeremy Waldron, say that when we conceive of rights in this fashion, they become variable, they change over time. That means that the obligations that are correlative also change, which means that your obligations to the state change in ways that are unpredictable, and your obligations to your fellow citizens. These aren't rights. These are changing obligations that will be imposed on you. In addition, as they recognize, these rights will conflict. Take the elements from the Universal Charter of of, of Human Rights, the United Nations. The argument is that you have a right to medical care, but you also have a right to periodic holidays with pay. Well, what if I need medical care, but you're my doctor and you have the right to holidays? These may conflict. They say this will be a regular occurrence. Of course, they'll conflict all the time. Don't worry. The state will balance them. They'll decide whose rights will be realized. But once you've done that, you stipulate that the way in which these will be decided will be on the basis of something other than rights, because you and I both have the right. They're just not compatible. Well, that means that the decisions of the state are no longer governed by rights. They're governed by something else, which such people never bother to specify. But we know lots of ways in which these conflicting claims are are adjudicated by states like that with arbitrary power. Tribalism, cronyism, personal loyalty, bribery, uh, uh, racial prejudice. You can think of a large list of them. That's not a rights-governed legal system. It basically sucks rights out entirely and makes us passive recipients of benefits from the state. So they have fundamentally changed the idea of rights by introducing this welfare rights concept and essentially sucked rights out of the legal system altogether. Cass Sunstein is somebody who talks about rights a lot, and you're also very critical of him. He views rights, if I understand correctly, as essentially grants from the state. 
Well, he has a very interesting argument. Uh, he has a book called uh, The Cost of Rights, Why Liberty Depends on Taxes. And it's a many book, one of many books that I uh, respond to uh, in my book. I think we have an obligation to listen to our critics carefully and think about it, concede where they make good points, and then hammer them uh, when we think that they're wrong and, and show why. He argues that all rights, including what are traditionally considered negative rights, rights not to be interfered with or not to be harmed, are in fact welfare rights. He's very explicit about that. Even the right not to be tortured by the state is a positive grant from the state that the state gives to you. His argument is very ingenious, but it blows up, it explodes. And the argument is as follows. A right that isn't enforced isn't a right at all. That's an interesting claim. I disagree, but... I'll concede it for the purpose of his argument. Therefore, the right not to be tortured is really a right that the state will hire monitors to monitor the police in case they torture me and then punish them. That's what a right not to be tortured means. But by his own logic, if I have a right not to be tortured, it's because I have a right that the state hire monitors and that the monitors actually punish the police if they torture me. Well, I would only have that right if I have a right that the monitors punish the police. And to have that right, I would have to have a right that super monitors punish the monitors and super super monitors punish the super monitors ad infinitum. The argument explodes itself. If the right that you have not to be tortured by police is something that is delivered to you by the state. It's a positive grant, he argues. You have no natural right not to be tortured. If you have a right not to be tortured, it's because the state gave it to you. So we can disagree with this on any number of different levels, uh, and I disagree on every level with his argument. But my point was, even if we grant all of his premises, his argument generates an infinite regress. It's logically untenable. And in fact, if you take it seriously, it goes as follows. If we have rights, then there's an infinite regress of all of these uh, monitors over monitors over monitors. But there is not such an infinite regress. We are logically uh, entitled to infer, by modus tolendo tollens in logic, that there are no rights. So what he's delivered to us is, if you accept the premises, the argument that no one has any rights at all. In fact, what we do, what we find in his legal philosophy, is the individual stands naked and alone before the state with no rights, no powers, and completely at the mercy of state power. That's the logical outcome of uh, most, certainly in this case, this particular one, uh, prominent arguments for uh, welfare rights or rights as entitlements granted by the state. How should we think about the relationship between economics and our rights to self-determination? Uh, well, sometimes people argue that, well, economics is just a, a science, if you will. It just tells us what's going to happen or how to understand the world. And it's positive, a positive science. Then there's the normative disciplines of right and wrong, good and bad. And in fact, I think that those two are more intimately connected than some uh, would agree. And in particular, if we understand socialism just doesn't work. They can try it over and over, and they're going to get the same outcome, disaster, human starvation, cannibalism, as they witnessed during the Great Leap Forward in China and during the collectivization of agriculture in the Soviet Union. Mass human cannibalism. Uh, that's the outcome of these policies. It's not an accident, and it should tell us about whether the moral premises in which they were built are right or wrong. 
So I do have an essay in the book, 20 Myths About Markets, where I go through myths about how markets function. And the misunderstanding that people have about how markets work uh, is uh, uh, deeply implicated in the conclusions that they reach about right and wrong. I think people would reach different conclusions if they had a better understanding of how free societies order themselves, how order emerges in a free society. Uh, That particular essay uh, I kind of like because I set myself the task of writing an essay that I think would be clear, that would be honest and fair to the critics of, of libertarian ideas and has no footnotes at all. Most of the other essays are just full and full of footnotes and citations if, for those people who like to track those things down. And some of the essays like this one, I set myself the task I want to write clearly with no academic apparatus and no footnotes. Tom Palmer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and director of the Atlas Global Initiative for Free Trade, Peace, and Prosperity. You can watch the full book forum or order your copy of Realizing Freedom at Cato.org.